H-Y-Y and Billy Penn, it is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. Coming up, we're going to talk some Phillies prospects. I got Jeffrey Paternostro, the lead prospect writer for Baseball Prospectus. He's going to give us his top 10 Phillies prospects that the publication put out just this week. And uh, we'll get a, a really good look at what's going on inside the Phillies farm system with some of the young position players and some of the uh, arms that might be closer to the majors. So we'll get his thoughts on all of that. Plus, uh, an interesting scenario I read about this week about Alec Bohm in terms of maybe be getting a little bit more creative with this offseason. I'll share that with you coming up here in just a few minutes. And all that stuff coming up here on this edition of Hit and Season. But let's get into some of the hot stove news and rumors before we get too far into things here. Again, not a lot of big names have been moved since we last spoke, but uh, that Japanese left-hander Shota Imanaga has signed. He inks a deal with the Chicago Cubs four years, just $53 million, but uh, there are some incentives in there and options that could make it $80 million over five seasons. So a little bit of a, it's a complicated contract, it sounds like, but uh, it gives the Chicago Cubs a middle-of-the-rotation starter, a left-hander. His name had been mentioned with the Phillies in uh, numerous different different publications, but over the last week or so, it seems as though the Phillies really didn't have a whole lot of interest in bringing him on board. 24 games for Japan. Japan last season, he was seven and five with a two six six ERA, one hundred and eighty eight strikeouts and one hundred and fifty nine innings. But again, not the profile of Yamamoto. Uh, of course, otherwise he would have gotten a whole lot more than that. But he will help out a Cubs rotation that struggled down the stretch last year. Uh, they're likely to lose Marcus Stroman as a free agent here this offseason. Uh, Justin Steele performed very well atop the top of their rotation, uh, and now they give him maybe a, a. I don't know if I don't think that Imanaga would be a number two starter. I, I There's not a lot that the Cubs have right now. They have Jamison Tyon in that starting rotation, Javier Assad, Kyle Hendricks, uh, a couple other guys who could potentially be in the mix there uh, in the starting rotation. There's some young guys who came up last year who could start off the season in the rotation. So you can see why they needed him. You know, they, if you, if you're hoping for, for Tyon to, to, to have a good season and you're hoping for a repeat performance from Justin Steele. If you can get that from those guys, then sliding Imanaga in, in the number three spot makes a whole lot of sense. And maybe Imanaga is better than we think he's going to be. There, there are some believers out there, but uh, it's a a move that uh, was kind of a shoe to drop here because Imanaga had, uh, had to have this posting done this week. And so uh, the Cubs finally make a move. They've been rumored on uh, being close to a number of different players, including Reese Hoskins, who, I'm not sure what the holdup is there with Reese Hoskins signing with Chicago, but that seems just like a move that's inevitable, but it just hasn't happened yet. But really, the only new move of note uh, since uh, since our last podcast here, the Cubs signing Shota Imanaga. I did want to mention something that uh, I ran across on Major League uh, on MLBTradeRumors.com. Uh, in an article, just kind of recapping what the Phillies have done so far, talking about the Phillies' next step, Steve Adams uh, from MLBTR noted something at the bottom in in terms of the bench. And again, he he makes it clear that he hasn't heard this. Nobody on the Phillies has said this could be a possible idea. This is pure speculation on his part, but I thought it was interesting and something to kind of talk about a little bit. And he said that one scenario to strengthening the bench and maybe even strengthening yourself yourself in another position is to sign a full-time third baseman 
and push Alec Bohm into a reserve role. Now, that may sound weird to those of you listening right now because Bohm just got off a season in which he hit a career-high 20 home runs. Uh, he, he finished uh, third on the team with 97 RBIs. Um, he has... He has moments and, and stretches where he's extremely hot. And then we saw in the postseason, he just, he hit a real rut and had a, had a very hard time coming out of it. Uh, the article really takes a look at his splits against left-handers. He hit 303 with a 335 on base and a 594 slugging percentage. That's a 142 weighted runs created. Uh, but uh, basically he was a singles hitter against right-handed pitchers. 263 with a 324 on base and just a 377 slugging percentage and 92 weighted runs created a below league average offensive player against right-handers. And that that goes along with his career splits. That's not just a, a one-year thing. And not only that, Bohm was better last year in terms of his defense. And we, he made some big plays in the playoffs. He, he did get better last year as a defender, but he does in his career have negative 46 defensive runs saved and negative 11 outs above average at third base. Uh, he's a little bit better at first base, but of course, Bryce Harper is going to play that position for the better part of the next decade or so. Bohm can hit. We know that Bohm can hit, but he struggles to be anything more than a, a, a singles hitter against right-handers. And we know that his glove detracts from his overall value. Despite the improvements that he's made defensively, he's still a below average defender at third base. It's not, he doesn't make a lot of money so that you could put him in a reserve role and it wouldn't look weird in terms of the dollars. He's projected to earn a little over about, about four and a half million dollars in arbitration this year. So you could have him in a reserve role and it wouldn't, it's not like you're paying a guy $17 million to, to, to play two or three times a week. Um, as he goes through arbitration, if he continues to start at third base, obviously those arbitration numbers would go up. So if the Phillies are looking to save some money, that's another potential angle there. Uh, the third base market has names like Justin Turner. Uh, who, again, Justin Turner, certainly no spring chicken, uh, 39 years old coming into this season, uh, but has had a, an OPS plus over 100 every year since 2013. Last year in Boston, he hit 23 home runs, knocked in 96 runs, had 31 doubles, and hit 276, 345, 455 for an 800 OPS. Very, very Numbers that were very similar uh, to Alec Bohm's last year offensively. Uh, defensively also a net negative as a player. This may not be the type of guy that you would use to replace Alec Bohm. You might have to just get him on a, a one-year deal or something like that. But again, very similar numbers to, to Bohm uh, overall. Uh, name like Matt Chapman. Here's another guy who's a, a little bit older, but certainly not as old as, as Turner was. Uh, he'll be entering his age 31 season. He spent the last two years in Oakland. I mean, pardon me, in Toronto. Uh, he hit 240 for a th with a 330 on base and a 424 slugging, 17 home runs, 39 doubles last year for the Blue Jays. Uh, overall uh, was worth 4.4 wins above replacement because his glove is still elite at third base. So he doesn't give you quite as much offensively, a 108 OPS plus offensively uh, from uh, from Matt Chapman, but uh, he would give you a gold glove caliber 
defense at third base, which is not something that you're getting from Alec Bohm right now. And Alec Bohm's OPS plus was only 108. So very, very similar numbers uh, offensively. Uh, in fact, and now I look at Turner's numbers, a 114 OPS plus is significantly better than Alec Bohm. So if you went Justin Turner, you'd get an upgrade offensively. If you went Matt Chapman, you'd get an upgrade defensively, and you, you really wouldn't lose anything with the bat if you brought in Matt Chapman. And, and Gio Urshela is another name that was mentioned in this article. Um, played for the Angels last year. He'd be entering his age 32 season. He only played 62 games last year. Has only had one season in his career where he's played at least 144 games. But last year, hits had a 703 OPS, a 91 OPS plus. Um, yeah, I don't really see. I mean, he mentions this guy as a potential replacement. Uh, he's not expensive. He's a, a decent defender, 0.5 defensive wins above replacement last year. Overall, though, just 0.8 wins above replacement. Uh, th that's not a guy I would replace Alec Bone with. But Justin Turner, Matt Chapman, possibly. And he also mentions that there are teams like the Reds and the Twins and the Cardinals and the Orioles who have some infield surpluses. As I look through their rosters, I didn't see a match necessarily with any of those different teams uh, that would be an upgrade over, over what the Phillies have right now. So I don't, I don't really see that. I mean, Jonathan India has been rumored to be on the move from the Reds, but he's more of a second baseman than a third baseman. Uh, not, I didn't, you know, I don't see a third baseman on any, I, I get Gregory Polanco was one for the Twins, who could potentially make some sense. But you'd have to trade. Why, why wouldn't you just then go sign one of the free agents who are available instead of making a trade at that point? So I'm not advocating for this. I, I don't think I would remove Alec Bohm as an everyday player. Um, but, you know, you, you could strengthen your bench a little bit, giving yourself a third base, first base option uh, with, with Alec Bohm. Maybe, maybe he can play some left field in a pinch, right? You know, just uh, break glass in case, case of emergency. Maybe he get, you know, you get to give him like, you know, five starts a year. Uh, during the year in, in left field, or maybe he comes in late. If that's something that he can learn in spring training, make himself a little bit more valuable that way. I don't know if that's even possible that, that they're playing Kyle Schwarber out there. So really how much, how much they were playing Kyle Schwarber out there. So how much worse could it get? Again, I, I'm not advocating for, for making Alec Bohm a reserve player, but when you lay it out like that, if you find that you can go get a third baseman and improve yourself dramatically either defensively or give yourself a better all-around player offensively, and you can move Alec Bohm into a role that maybe, I mean, you're not getting rid of you're not getting rid of Edmundo Sosa, who is valuable because he can play shortstop for you. He doesn't play it well, but he can, he can play some shortstop for you. But I mean, I, I think, you know, we're not, we're not expecting the Phillies to go out and sign a big name corner outfielder, right? We're not expecting the Phillies to go sign a big name reliever. I do think they're going to get some kind of Craig Kimbrell replacement may not be at that price, but they are going to go do those things at some point here in the next few weeks, months. There's no urgency to do it, obviously, but if you wanted to improve the bench and maybe improve yourself at third base, give yourself uh, something a little bit juicier there. That's a potential, that was an interesting idea at least. And uh, I'm, I don't think I would pull the trigger on something like that. Uh, but it's, uh, it's worth the conversation. You know, Jorge Polanco uh, was worth two wins above replacement last year. OPS plus 
over 100 each of the last five non-pandemic shortened seasons, and he's a he's an above-average defender. So if you wanted to trade for Polanco, uh, you know that's something that could happen as well. Anyway, just something to consider uh, as you're uh, as as we're trying to think of different ways for Dave Dombrowski to do some different things. Well, without a whole lot happening on the hot stove with the big league ball club, uh, let's talk a little prospects. And we are right in the middle of prospect ranking season. All kinds of baseball publications putting out their rankings, and one of the best to do it is, of course, baseball. Baseball Prospectus and Jeff Paterno- Jeffrey Paternostro, who's the lead pro- prospect writer for Baseball Prospectus, released his Phillies top ten. Did a really nice write up on that, so make sure you check that out. Um, going over to Baseball Prospectus, and you'll find his article there. But he's going to talk to us for a few minutes about his list and uh, the prospects and why he has them where he has them. Jeffrey, thank you for coming back on Hitting Season. How are you? Good. Uh, always good to be on here. I think last time I was here, I don't know. I've done your show a few times. I know now. Yeah. I think I was talking about how uh, J.P. Crawford was like a slam dunk uh, future. Oh man, has it been that long? (laughs) I don't. I I definitely remember that one distinctly because we had him uh, very high on our. Oh yeah. uh, on our list oh, yeah. that year, on our, on our 101. So, and then look, it, it worked out. It, it's, as I like to say, it's a long-term value list. So. Yeah, yeah, it's not, you're not looking, you know, it doesn't have, they don't, these guys all don't have to hit their rookie seasons, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they, it, it can sometimes happen four, five, six years down the line. And JP is, of course, a, a, a very good player for Seattle. Maybe not the player we thought we were going to get, but uh, still very good player. I mean, that's the thing about these lists. And, you know, these guys, they move up and down some sometimes every year. It's, it's an inexact science, of course, when you're dealing with with guys who are so young and uh, without a whole lot of uh, some of these guys without a whole lot of professional experience under their belts. Um, but the Phillies list, I think, is a very interesting list. I, I, I the order in which you have these guys is is interesting to me. Uh, so I, I do. We'll talk about the guy at the top of this list, but I don't know really how much there is to say about Andrew Painter. He remains at the top of just about every list that I've seen out there, despite the fact that he's not going to pitch at all this year, and uh, we don't really know how he's going to react to Tommy John surgery. Most pitchers react very well to it and they come back and they, they're throwing just as hard as ever that surgery has become relatively routine at this point but you know to whatever to whatever degree a major elbow surgery can be routine of course but with painter at the top of the list like what are if if the phillies would it have been possible for somebody to to replace him as as the number one? Like, if one of these other guys below him had been had had a, a better season last year, w- was there a conceivable way Painter could have gotten knocked off the top of the Phillies' top ten list? I don't think so. If Mick Abel pitched well enough to be a better pitching prospect than Andrew Painter, he would have been in the playoff rotation uh, right. at that point. So, right. you know, Painter just has that kind of like ace upside uh, if you mm-hmm. want to call it you know all-star upside for hitters that it was going to be difficult to you know start the player starting you know the system starting where it was coming into the season mm-hmm. beyond painter and where they were drafting uh you know if, if wyatt langford had fallen to them for some reason sure then maybe wyatt langford <laughs> would have been the the number one prospect like, we're only ranking i think uh langford and cruz ahead of painter on the 101 i think uh walker jenkins is in the it's going up to 16 so i'll just spoil some of it walker jenkins is in that general range as well he might even be a little bit higher than painter i don't recall something i could look up i suppose but he's again as you said i like to say that tommy john surgery is common it's not routine but generally speaking yeah the the majority of players this this point come back you know 14 16 18 months after very close to the pitchers they were before you know it doesn't always happen uh i'm a mets fan you're a phillies fan we've both watched mm-hmm. Noah Syndergaard post tommy john surgery and 
that is a thing that can happen. Zach Wheeler took Zach Wheeler got there, but it took him something close to two and a half, three seasons to get there. So there are, yeah. you know, there are outlier results like that. We don't have a good way to handle ranking prospects, specifically where Painter is right now, too, because obviously mm-hmm. he had the elbow issue in spring training. They tried rest and rehab. He had the surgery during the season. He's likely to miss most of, if not all of. 2023 you know, or 2024 maybe you know maybe he pops up in you know Clearwater in the complex at the end of the season maybe he does some AFL time to get him some innings if he's ready to go mm-hmm. by then but in all likelihood it's a lost season and he's not resumed throwing yet so we yeah. really can't even get like the basic he's throwing off a mound right he's like, right right we know he can do that and that is like an important step so he's very difficult to rank but you know i there's probably i mean there's at least three that i know off the top of my head probably more than i'm forgetting pitchers on our 101 this year that are in mm-hmm. some phase of this right you know yeah kate cavalli yeah. and max meyer had it last year and are closer to to coming back you know painter's obviously going to miss all of 2024 there's no mm-hmm. good way to rank them basically yeah. you have to look at what again as i said it's a long-term value list how much does this impact andrew painter's long-term value you know he will be like 21 when he's back on the mound too right right because he moves so quickly his first full pro season right that he's a you know he's an outlier in a in a lot of ways uh as a pitching prospect and it's not it's lost development time but he was also going to likely break camp in the majors right maybe because of the situation they'll ramp him up slowly in 2025 give him some time in triple a which he didn't have before mm-hmm. but i think he's going to be a full go for the major league team fairly quickly and yeah. we don't know what 2025 is going to look like for the phillies but they're still in all likelihood going to be in their contention window yeah. you have a situation where zach wheeler is going to be a free agent at the end of the season i expect they will work something out and he will stay there but mm-hmm. you know they will you always need starting pitching Oh yeah. And I don't think if Andrew Painter is back and healthy, if they were willing to have him break camp as a nineteen year old, they'll be right. fairly willing to have him break camp as a twenty one or twenty two year old once they think he's physically ready or just in the majors of the as a starting pitcher. So then you look at the stuff, right? It's probably I know MLB Pipeline just posted a poll on this, but it's it's probably one of the three or four best fastballs uh among pitching prospects right now. And it hits all the markers here too it's not just a pure velocity pitch although it has plenty of velocity uh it's got absolute bat missing carry the movement's good it's it's going to be a swing and miss piss in and out of the zone for him um, mm-hmm. the breaking balls are you know i i saw him his first i think it was his first start for i guess it was still lakewood then but the lakewood jersey shore team i drove down to hudson valley on a like cannonball run when they announced he was going to be starting there yeah, and I will say, like the fastball looked really good, the breakers did not look particularly visually impressive. And one of the things I've had to get away from in recent years is really doing just a plain visual evaluation of secondary stuff, especially because Painter's a weird one where his both his breaking balls kind of work in an overlapping bellow band with different movement. So while neither looks particularly visually impressive, you also can't, so you can't tell them apart is usually like a, 
a thing where if you're scouting, you'll write down, well, you can't tell his breaking balls apart. Yeah. But if I can't tell his breaking balls apart, the hitter probably can't either. They are moving differently. (laughs) Yeah. So they, they look much better on a track man sheet. If you're looking Mm -hmm. at stuff like chase rate and end zone whiff and things like that, that maybe they do visually for an evaluation. And yeah, he's got a change up. And where it's also, it's 2024. You don't need a change up anymore. If you've got two good breaking balls and a fastball as good as this. And we've really looked at how you can do pitch mix and like his pitch mix is among the best in baseball among prospects. Yeah. Yeah. With the art, the overall arsenal. So assuming that comes back and he, it's his pretty good command too. So if somebody comes back to that, like we ranked him as the 12th overall prospect in baseball. I think he was the, top pitching prospect coming into the season. You know, yeah. Paul Skeens is now drafted in a professional. But other than that, you know, if we're looking at this as a long-term value list, he still has as much, I think, long-term value as any pitching prospect in baseball. Right. And, and we don't know in 2025 how, how much the Phillies will be able to pitch him. You want, mm-hmm. One would expect they're going right. to take yep. it slow with him. Innings will be, pitch, not, pitch counts will be low. Inning numbers will be low. because. Sure. They obviously want to ease him back into uh, getting getting back into pitching every every fifth day or every sixth day or depending on and how how quickly they want to move him uh, back into getting his arm strength up and all that. So uh, very interesting to see what goes on with Andrew Painter over the next uh, twelve months or so. Your number two, Aiden Miller, uh, the first round pick uh, shortstop from high school that they got uh, in the uh, in the twenty twenty three draft, taking number twenty seven overall. He just has uh, a handful of games, twenty professional games under his belt. He played ten games in rookie ball, ten games in in A ball for Clearwater last year. Did great in rookie ball. Um, numbers weren't quite as good in A ball, but again, we're just talking about twenty games here. We're talking about eighty plate appearances, so not not a whole lot to go on here what is it you really like about aiden miller to have him at number two so i i mucked around with the order of two three and four here a bunch um this is very close none of these three players made the 101 they're all in the next like 25 somewhere okay. and at that point and just list, so people know who we're talking about number three is mick abel number four is starlin kaba another shortstop yeah. just so so we know who we're talking about here yeah so abel is sort of the the chalk here right you know he was a consensus best Prep arm in the 2020 draft has been a good pro, but maybe not as dominant as you would have expected. He's moved fairly quickly for a prep arm, you know, especially one that was drafted in 2020. But when I was looking, comparing Miller and Abel, and I had Abel too on earlier drafts of this list and later drafts of this list, I moved Miller up fairly close to publication. I just couldn't get past the the point that it's like two things going on here i will generally if i think two prospects are fairly close to fall to the bat over the arm for the obvious reasons but you know the the bat is just going to be a little bit safer a little less volatile but for miller specifically he was a guy that probably would have gone 15 spots higher uh, if he wasn't dealing with a broken ham eight mm-hmm. during the spring yeah um, and that just that's going to affect that's going to affect your scouting looks that's going to affect the data that you get from the showcase circuit and he came into the pros and he hit um he i think he's going to develop power look the swing has some things that if you're just you know if you're a a grizzled scout you're going to see the near arm bar you're going to see the wrap and be like Okay, is he going to be able to handle better velocity? 
But I think his wrists are so good, and I say this in the write-up, and he keeps fluidity. A lot of guys, if they get that kind of like length and strength stiff swing, he isn't really mm -hmm. one of those guys. He can still move the barrel around really well, and you saw that sort of in the contact rate uh, in the low minors after the draft. And I think a lot of power, like the frame looks good. If you see the batting practice video, it looks good. You know, maybe it's more like, you know, 20 home runs and 25 to 30. But I think he's going to hit for average. I think he's going to hit for power. Probably a third baseman, not a shortstop. But he's in that same kind of like Bryson Stott defensive mold, I think, where he can play shortstop for you. The arm's pretty good, so I think he'll probably slide to third if he slides. But that kind of value where he can... He can play shortstop, but it'll probably be a 55 at second or third. So maybe you okay. just play him there. Yeah. A good hitter, just a good all-around player. The one thing that I think also affected his draft stock is he was an older prep bat. And, you know, that makes a big difference. You know, he was he's going to be 20 in June. He was 19 on draft day. You look at guys like, I think, Arjun Namala was like 17. So you got to look at almost, you know, one and a half, two years younger. And that does mean something for development and developmental outcomes too but also i'm not sure arjun namala can hit i'm pretty sure aiden miller can and i think that carries the day and let's talk a little bit about mick abel too because mm -hmm. i i think yeah. we were disappointed in that he didn't really dominate in the in the minors yeah. this year he spent most of the season in reading and again reading's a tough place to pitch it is. hitters tend to do very well there uh but he and i don't like to just look at minor league numbers necessarily the you know the 4.14 era it's not not wowing you but i think what one of the things that that really you know what you really see is the lack of command and control for him you know five walks per nine is just it's it's not going to get it done and you can strike out all the guys that you want to but if, if you can't command the baseball if you can't if you can't find that ability to to you know get keep from offering some free passes, you're, you're just that you're going to struggle. So, I mean, I, I realize that maybe some of that stuff can still be ironed out, but you know, you, you were really hoping that maybe he could take, you know, take a major league position, uh, take it by the hands and, and really, and, and run with it with an opportunity. And it just didn't seem like, just didn't seem like he was, he was emerging as like a, a, a top tier pitching prospect. And, and I know it's too early to kind of make a comparison to former major leaguers or anything. But when I think of Mick Abel, when I see him, he reminds me of kind of like a low end Brett Myers, kind of a, kind of a pitcher. And I don't know that, I mean, I'm sure styles are different. Stuff is different like that. But when I think of outcomes for him, that's kind of where my mind goes. And yeah, I realize that's probably not fair for a 21 year old, but that's well, where seeing, I am. You're seeing the, you know, power stuff, home run prone, despite the power stuff. And for him, it really is, the control is an issue. Don't get me wrong. But one of the things I saw, especially with his breaking balls, is he really has trouble landing them and like one of like inducing chase, which obviously, mm -hmm. if guys aren't swinging at it, they're gonna be balls. And alternatively, like sometimes that slider will just start front hip and run down the middle of the plate, and guys will just run down the barrel and guys will time it and it'll go a very long way. Mm -hmm. Other times, like. Both those pitches flash plus. Like he could have two plus breaking balls. He obviously has starts where he sits in the hit high nineties and touches the triple digits. Sometimes it's more mid nineties. Um, you know, you know, start to start. Sometimes they'll start high nineties and fade a little bit. Again, he's still building up as a as a pitching prospect. He's his third full pro season, so it's not an insignificant amount. But the you know he's had little uh, injury scares here and there. The Phillies have been fairly conservative with him. And it's not even conservative. It's just what you do with prep arms. Like Painter's kind of an outlier in how fast they moved him in 2022. 
but I just can't help. Like Brian Bayo was this guy for me for the Red Sox too. I saw him in the minors. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, this guy should be destroying this level. If you just look <laughs> at the, the raw stuff, right? Yeah. And it's just, it never is quite what you expect consistently yeah. enough. Like he, um, he can have starts where he just absolutely turns over a lineup and is just cruising, but not as many as you'd think. Like it's a struggle. And Bayo was like this too. And like this in the majors sometimes for him as well, where it's just a, it's just, it should be easier than it is for him. And look, that might mean he's a reliever. It might. That's certainly a possibility here. It'll be incredible power stuff. I'm not moving him to the pen yet. I do wonder, and I was thinking about this when I was writing the list too, because I do think you have to consider it to an extent when someone's been in the organization for as long as McAble has. What's the last arm like this the Phillies have really gotten a command jump out of? Yeah. On, on the prospect side. Yeah. Because Ranger Suarez always had good command. It was just a question of like, was this stuff actually going to miss bats? And obviously that question right. has been answered. Um, yeah. He always could throw strikes, throw multiple pitches, et cetera, et cetera. But they've had a few power arms come up like this. And like, look, Painter is still, that story is still to be written. But I think about like Franklin Colome and Adonis Medina and Jake Thompson. And, you know, you can go down the list. Yeah. And we're talking about multiple front offices, multiple player development staff. So it's not even entirely fair. But... I do wonder, like, are they going to be able to get him to get him to the finish line as like a third starter? And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's going to be a big storyline this year. That, that might be the number one storyline in the Phillies minor league system is whether or not Mick Abel can take that next step. And I realize he's still young, even if it doesn't happen this year. That's not to say it won't. But generally speaking, you want to see that progression and you know it's i think his his future is he's got the stuff i mean it does seem like he he has some some outings where he's he's really difficult to hit but uh the consistency not there for the young right-hander just yet and so we'll see how that kind of shakes out because the phillies really do need some depth in the in the major league rotation it would be great if he can get off to a good start in the first half and if need be, somebody gets hurt. Ranger Suarez has his yearly IL stint or whatever, you know. You can bring the kid up rather than have to go to to, to some, some nickel and dime veteran uh, that you don't really uh, have a whole lot of faith in. Um, number four on your list, uh, Starlin Caba. He's the young, uh, he's the young uh, uh, international kid that they signed out of the Dominican Republic, just 17 years old. Um, with, with somebody that young who doesn't really have any professional experience, how do you assess where he would be in a group like this, when you've got Justin Crawford just underneath mm -hmm. him, we've, there's a, probably a lot more out there about Justin Crawford. You know, how do you how do you judge between two guys like that when when Kaba really there's not a he hasn't played a whole lot yet. Right. So three years ago, I would have told you that I just might not have enough information on Kaba to even rank him on this list because look, the fact that he got three million dollars is not you know, it's data right uh, yeah. teams it doesn't like bonus to future performances it does not track as well on the ifa market as it does on in the amateur draft and it doesn't track all that well in the amateur draft sometimes and and like the amateur draft uh, uh, what a player will sign for can vary wildly by situation uh even versus you know whatever the team's overall projection on him might be but you know 
a funny thing happened after the pandemic and teams started sharing data more and it was way easier to get DSL TrackMan data than it was. And now look, it's not that hard to get DSL video. I'll tell you, I watched a lot of Starlin Cobbett bats <laughs> before I wrote this blurb. And yeah. I watched a lot of Justin Crawford bats before I wrote this blurb and I pulled the TrackMan on both of them. I mean, the difference here is just, you know, you're trying to project a 17-year-old, again, with a very short professional track record versus a 19-year-old that was, you know, bloodlines pick, known guy on the showcase and prep circuit for a number yeah. of years. So, yes, there's going to be more surety on Crawford than there is on Kaba, and that would be true of, a you know, a 17-year-old on the showcase circuit at this point in time, too. But I went, you know, when I went down the list between my evaluation of both them on video, between the data I was able to pull from their respective seasons. I don't actually know what Justin Crawford does better than Starlin Kaba projects to do. It will be faster. Although Kaba runs quite well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Kaba's a very good shortstop. I expect it will continue to be a very good shortstop. So, you know, even if Crawford stays in center, which he will, and be a good defender there, which I think he will, he doesn't really have an advantage there. Kaba, I think, had the best single in-zone contact rate I saw this year at any level. I think Bergola might actually be higher now that I think about mm. it. I take that back. But Kaba hits the ball a lot harder than Bergola does. William Bergola, uh, another shortstop prospect yeah. you have ranked at number seven, just for some folks who are aware. Yeah. And, like, look, some measure of these guys that are the— and let's not pretend like Starlin Kaba agreed to this deal on January 15th. Or <laughs> right. uh, you know, he, they decided it's probably when he was like 14. Yeah, but some yeah. players that are the best 14-year-old baseball players in their cohort are the best 15, 16, 20, 24. Juan Soto. Yeah. Has been, every, year he's, every year he's played baseball, he has been the best baseball player of his age, more or yeah. less. Yeah. Uh, so there are some percentage of these players that play out like that. And look, I don't know how that's going to go to Kaba, but I'll tell you, this is the highest ranked DSL guy. I don't think he's the best prospect from this 2023 IFA class because, you know, Ethan Salas and Sebastian Walcott, who both came stateside, and I have more information about them than I have Starlin Kaba. But this was one, too, where when I was doing video on him, it's just like, this is not a hard scout. Everything mm -hmm. here looks right. Uh, the left hand, the right-handed swing needs some work. I think it'll get there, get there with time. But the left-handed swing, he was just barreling everything that he saw at that level good runner and, good shortstop i think the it's not a ton of power at present but you know he was he had a few balls you know again for a 17 year old over 100 miles an hour so there is some power projection there and, and for anybody th hearing shortstop we don't need a shortstop we've got trey turner signed here you know through the next apocalypse or whenever you know <laughs> things gonna end you just you, you never know you never know what's gonna happen you know mm -hmm. down down the road so uh, you let this kid play shortstop you let him you, you let him grow and it means you don't have to force him to the major leagues either it's still so young so much can happen between now and when he might be major league ready uh, i mentioned you had justin crawford at number five you have a, a ryan kirkering uh at number six we got a good look at, at kirkering at the end sure. 
end of last season and in the playoffs and I, they just they didn't use him right in the playoffs I, I don't know what they were thinking with with the high leverage situations that they threw him into it just seemed seemed out of place at the moment at that time for Kirkering but obviously the stuff is there he had a rapid ascent through the through the minors last year and it looks to be a major part of the Phillies bullpen mix here in 2024 so I meant he'll he'll no longer be a prospect at a certain point this year either mm-hmm. you mentioned Bergola at number seven another guy I wanted to ask you about though was the guy number eight on your list Carlos De La Cruz the uh, the first baseman slash outfielder who the Phillies left unprotected in the in the uh, rule five draft and and luckily he made it through and he's coming back to the organization he'll undoubtedly play at Lehigh Valley this year uh, developed into kind of a power bat real big guy very Dave Winfield-esque in terms of his height and and and, and body and all that kind of stuff and you know it's oftentimes difficult for a guy of his size to be a productive consistent major league player there's just a lot going on with his arms and legs and hips and everything else but uh, the Phillies are, are gonna need somebody this year to kind of come up and I think take some get some at bats you know they have Christian Pache I'm I think we're going to see some more Jay Cave this year, which no one is excited about, but I don't see another alternative coming. Uh, and then, of course, they want Johan Rojas to really take a hold of that center field field job. So there's no everyday outfield job available for a guy like Carlos De La Cruz. But if you're looking for somebody that you can bring up if somebody gets hurt or somebody, because Christian Pache will most likely get hurt. You know, there, there will be an injury that comes along the line. What Do you envision Carlos De La Cruz getting a shot at the majors? Can he be a part-time player in the big leagues? I think so. Um, you know, he kind of, it would be better if he was left-handed. He, he yes, it would. That kind of like Derek Hall role where mm-hmm. he has the, uh, the long side of the platoon at least. He's one where I will say this, but there, there's a tier between seven and eight here. Uh, yeah. And I consider a lot of people like eight down to maybe 14, I think is kind of a tier. But De La Cruz, I've always liked him. It's a very weird profile. He's pretty, he's listed at six, eight. I think, I think he's taller than that now. Just <laughs> like looking at him visually. And he has like, some sneaky hit tool ability that I was kind of surprised by. But again, when you're that big and the levers are that long, you kind of got to be a freak athlete in some ways. Like you got to be Aaron judge or Ellie De La Cruz or yeah. uh, O'Neill Cruz, something like that. And he doesn't quite have that kind of uh, athleticism to him. It kind of all look a little like awkward at times, but then he barrels one and it just goes for days. So that kind of power, like, We'll yeah. always have a, we'll always get a shot, right? Right. And he's not awful in a corner outfield. And I think especially in like Citizens Bank Park, he can probably handle it. Again, it's just a, it's a crowded outfield situation for them right now. Um, you know, he plays some first base too. He ain't going to play first base for the Phillies. Right. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Right. So, you know, I make a joke in the state of the system that a lot of this list is guys that, Dave Dombrowski is going to trade for a four starter at the deadline. I think Carlos De La Cruz, De La Cruz might be that guy, but yeah. I do think in the interim, and look, he had a he had a split. He was much better at Reading last year than he was outside of Reading, which you know is a thing that happens. But I do think that power is playable, and I think the fact that he can you know come up and be a productive and like the first base flex matters. And he can play yeah. corner outfield, and so he has some defensive flexibility. Yeah. He can offer some power off the bench, so that's all nice things to have. 
And he's the one guy here, one the one position player in your top ten that is even close to the majors. The rest of mm, these guys yeah. are all all years away uh, from from joining the major, from from coming, getting called up and and being any kind of contributor at at the big league level. Um, number nine on your list is is Griff McGarry, and I, you don't have to go into a long thing about McGarry no. here, but I mean, what a weird guy, what a weird pitcher. I mean, the stuff is off the charts. But then at the end of last year, the command has always been an issue, and mm-hmm. he went full on Bruce Ruffin, uh, you know, just losing the ability to throw strikes to the point where they just said, all right, no mas, man, just call it a season. Let's let's work on some stuff this offseason and let's get back at it in, in, in 2024. So he plummeted down a lot of lists, it appears. Yeah, I mean, we had him as a, almost a top 50 guy last year, and maybe that was a little aggressive given the, the command and reliever markers. But also, look, I did, I worked him up middle of the season when he was in double A. I'm like, yeah, but that's Griff McGarry. It looks like Griff McGarry. Like, it's it's going fine. Obviously, he had the uh, the oblique issue at the beginning of the season, but whatever. Like, it's Griff McGarry. And then look back in August, like, Griff McGarry's not pitching anymore because he's completely lost the strike zone. And that, like, sucks. Like, I yeah. hate it when pitcher like, it, this happens. Like, I've seen this happen to pitchers before. Oh, yeah. When I've covered and they just, you lose it. Like, you just completely lose it. And when you think about it, there's a lot of moving parts. McGarry's always had a lot of moving parts, too. And it's kind of wild to be able to, you know, pitch, pitch after pitch, day after day, and just always have everything working. And sometimes it it doesn't, and when it doesn't, it can look it can go bad quickly. You know, it, it, you almost don't want to speak the word yips into existence. Sure, but you know that is a it's kind of what it is. It. It's kind of what it is, right? Yeah, it's whatever it is, whether it's a delivery thing or or something else too. You know, you hope he gets back from it and when i was doing this list the the overarching thought in my mind when i when i kept him in the top 10 is like okay you looking past this like who who else here has really recently looked like a good potential major leaguer mm-hmm. like recently yeah. Mon- yeah months ago since i since i you know wrote this list and yeah it's a bit of a hedge i was talking to uh i, I don't name him in the in the blurb i'll say it was matt winkleman and I said, like, talked to him about this ranking. He's like, well, you're going to miss one way or the other. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know. He's he's literally not the ninth best prospect in the system. Either they're going to fix him and he's going to be or should be a bunch of spots higher or he's not. And he probably shouldn't be on it. I just don't know what the answer to that is yet. I want to ask you about two other guys uh, as we wrap up here. And uh, they were mentioned in an article by the Philadelphia Inquirer as being uh, two position players who have been garnering a lot of interest from from teams around the majors in talking with Dave Dombrowski about potential trades here this offseason. Uh, one is uh, the guy who's number 10 on your list, Eduardo Tate, who's a young catching prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other is another shortstop prospect, again, a very young guy named Brian Rincon. Uh, he's, uh, the, the article was talking about uh, three teams, at least three teams approached the Phillies about packaging Tate and Rincon in trades, but the Phillies haven't said uh, yes to, to any of those. So uh, let's talk about Tate first. Young catching prospect, you know, catching prospects are, are good ones are rare. You know, they're certainly valuable. So you can understand why a team or teams would be interested in getting their hands on somebody like Tate. But can you tell us a little bit more about him? What is it the teams seem to value in him? Uh, he already hits the ball as hard as most major leaguers is the short answer to that. Okay, he played, I like it. He played almost the entire season at 16. Uh, he turned uh, 17, I believe, in late August. So again, he signed in. He was going to be a 2024 guy, I think, and then decided to sign in in 2023. 
I, I don't know the full backstory there, but yeah, uh, he hits the ball very hard for a 16-year-old. And he is a catcher at present, and I didn't hate the physical tools back there. Like, he's very inexperienced. The, the, he doesn't always know which way to move on balls in the dirt. Like, he's that mm -hmm. kind of level of inexperienced. You know, it is kind of like watching a high school catcher trying to catch, you know, 92-mile-an-hour fastballs and breaking balls that move a bunch uh, from pitchers that don't always know where they're going to at that level. And the thing with him, and, like, look, I would not trade Eduardo Tate uh, at this point in time if I were the Phillies. <laughs> you know, it always depends on the deal, right? But Sure, sure. The thing with him, too, is one of the reasons he is able to hit baseballs as hard as, again, most major leaguers is that he looks like most major leaguers at 16. Mm. I think he's listed at six foot 180. He has like that catcher body already. Like it's not all the way there yet, but I expect it's going to fill out into that sort of like classic catcher body. So I do wonder like how much actual physicality he's going to add at the plate from there. Like the, he might be just kind of like an early peak guy in terms of the power outputs. But again, he doesn't really need much more. Uh, I can see an argument for having him higher. I can see him having an argument for him having being closer to Kaba just based on the damage he does. There's a lot of swing and miss there. And again, he was a 16-year-old you know, playing yeah. in a league where if he wasn't the youngest player, he was close to it. But I'm going to like tap the brakes a little bit on him until I see him stateside and see how that swing works. Um, the bat speed is fine. Uh, it's a little bit of a length and late trigger thing, so... He can be a little bit late, but he can also like I saw him hit one ball where he like it was like a it was like an excuse me swing. It wasn't really a check swing. It was like ninety three miles an hour off the bat. So he is just very strong. Uh, obviously, sticking a catcher here is going to be key to the profile. He's sixteen, only seventeen now. I can't tell you if he's going to. Um, there's a lot of defensive development that's going to happen. He has a lot of time to develop defensively. So I am not surprised. Teams are asking on him. He's sort of one of the one of the breakout guys from the DSL this year that obviously wasn't a already known like high bonus yeah. player. So yeah, teams are gonna poke around the the DSL and try to find the next junior Caminero, right? Or the next uh, <laughs> Curtis Me yeah. or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of yeah, he's sixteen years old. My goodness, there's still yeah. so much growing up to do uh, yeah. to be able to kind of have that ability to hit for that kind of that that kind of power right at at 16 years old it makes a lot of sense and and rincon uh you obviously don't have him ranked ahead of bergola or or kaba and obviously not as high as aiden miller uh, of course but uh what do you think it is that teams really like about him so he was he's an interesting one uh he was a day three cold weather prep in the 2022 draft and they sent him right to clearwater which is a pretty aggressive assignment he got a little I, th I believe i believe he got slot too or pool i guess it's called at that point um, so that's a very aggressive assignment and he held his own there um so you look at a 19 year old did not play a lot of like high level prep stuff mm -hmm. goes to a ball and well he does not have the contact ability of bergola or kaba makes a lot of contact it's a pretty good approach and i don't know how much power he's going to hit for 
Um, the left again, this is another situation where the left-handed swing is a switch hit, another switch hitting shortstop. The left-handed swing is ahead of the right-handed swing. Um, although it's more power from the left-handed side, which is actually kind of unusual. It just I don't. You could certainly make an argument for him in the top ten based on sort of the the balance of tools here. There's no real weakness in his game. Again, he's. I'll repeat myself again. He's pretty good at shortstop, but I don't know if he's as good a defender as, as Cabo or Bergoglia. So, you know, what is really there? I mean, I think the reason is he's a very nice prospect. They're asking on him because they're going to look at the Phillies' depth in shortstops right now and be like, hey, we think we can get this guy. Yeah, and we maybe, can get one maybe, of them anyway. <laughs> we can want, they don't want him. If we can get him for a little less uh, than you think he would be worth on paper, right? Because yeah, they got to yeah. trade somebody and they're going to look at him as maybe maybe surplus to requirements like again i like it i don't know how much damage he's going to do uh, on contact the right-handed swing is a pretty choppy but again he's another guy that's and this is true of tate right if you're again i don't know what teams are asking uh, on the phillies but you might look at these guys and be like okay we think we get him in our hitting development system maybe we can get rincones right-handed swing to match his left-handed swing a little bit more maybe we have something with with tate with this setup that'll make allow him to make a little more contact you know, maybe shorten him up a little bit because he obviously has uh, plenty of physical strength. So the teams are always doing that, right? They're looking for guys that they think they can develop further or, or have a plan for. At least the smart teams are doing that. Uh, so I think that's probably part of it. And again, I think you're just looking at guys like, well, you're dealing with Dave Dombrowski, right? Dave Dombrowski <laughs> is trying to win a World Series. Dave Dombrowski might look at this 16-year-old, you know, just turned 17 DSL catcher, be like, I'm going to be the general manager in Nashville by the time this guy makes the majors. <laughs> That's right. And I need yeah. a, you know, I need one more outfielder. Or yeah. I need a, another, I need an eighth inning guy. Yeah. So that's going to be, that's why you're going to look there. <laughs> Bye. Right. Yeah. And the, the thing about Dave Dombrowski is he does not often trade the wrong players. That's been true in right. Detroit. It was true in Boston. It's been true in Philly so far. Like, yeah, I mean, Michael Lorenzen didn't really end up pitching much in the playoffs, but I don't think Howie Lee is going to really have Phillies fans. I, mean, may, I think he'll be a major leaguer, but not going to major pangs of regret, you know, three years mm -hmm. from now. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting list, as they all are, and uh, we're going to learn more about these guys, especially some of these young guys, especially this year, um, as it'll be their first full year in the Phillies minor league system for a number of them. And uh, some it's always uh, it's always fun to dream on some of these guys who are coming along the pike. Make sure you read Jeffrey's entire article about these Phillies' top 10 prospects. He gave you a lot of good stuff here, but there's some other good news and notes on it, too. So uh, make sure you check out everything Jeffrey Padanostro's got going on over at Baseball Prospectus. You can follow on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. Jeffrey, thanks for coming back on Hit and Season once again. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Now, we just talked to Jeffrey about the baseball prospectus, Phillies Top 10. Fangraphs, Eric Longenhagen was also out with his, uh, it's not Top 10, uh, he has his Top 26 Phillies prospects of, uh, of 2024. And he has Andrew Painter at the top as well. Uh, they have McAble at number two and Starlin Caba 
at number three on this list. So you'll you'll definitely hear some differences here. Aiden Miller at number four. Uh, Brian Rincon at number five. So Rincon did not make uh, Jeffrey's top 10 list. And here they have uh, Brian Rincon at number five. Eduardo Tate, the young catcher we were also just talking about, who are the subject of this Philadelphia Inquirer, Rincon and Tate at number six. Eduardo Tate at number six with Justin Crawford at seven. Orion Kirkring at eight. Alex McFarlane at nine. And Michael Mercado at number Number 10, William Bregola, who was in the baseball prospectus top 10, is at number 13. Uh, and then you have, uh, scrolling down the list, Griff McGarry all the way down at number 25. And De La Cruz not anywhere on uh, the top 26 here on Fangraphs. I'm trying to going to try and get Eric on the podcast next week, and uh, we'll get his take on the Phillies farm system based off of his top 26 Phillies prospects list. But just kind of a, uh, it's it's just, it's such a subjective thing when you're, when you're judging these young players when there's not a lot of, uh, I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly a lot of data out there, but, you know, trying to compare these different players sometimes can be a very, very tricky business and um, no, no one right or wrong way to put these lists together, depending on the different types of things that you're looking at. And maybe, you know, there's some of these guys who have seen some of these dudes in person, some of these uh, prospect writers have seen these guys in person. And depending on the day you happen to catch that prospect, that can, uh, that can, push your mind one way or the other also in how you rank these different guys. So they're, they're fun. The, the, the prospect rankings are, are always fun. And certainly this time of year, uh, one of the things that we can talk about as we wait for the, the regular season to get started. Uh, one last thing, ESPN has released their Sunday night baseball schedule for 2024, at least the very start of the season. And I'm kind of surprised no Phillies games on this thing just yet. They've released the schedule for April and uh, as well as the game in May and a couple in June, one in August. Uh, the Phillies not on here. March 31st, Cardinals Dodgers. April 7th, Texans Rangers. Uh, pardon, not Texans Rangers. Uh, the Texas Rangers against the Houston Astros. Uh, April 14th, Padres and Braves. April 21st, Rangers and Braves. Um Rangers, the world champs, you get it. April 28th, the Cubs and the Red Sox. May 26th, Cubs and Cardinals. June 9th, Dodgers and Yankees. And then June 16th, of course, the Yankees and the Red Sox. And then you have the Little League Classic on August 18th between the Yankees and the Dodgers. I imagine they'll add some Phillies games here in May and June. Uh, the, the Phillies will certainly get some primetime action because, you know, they are they are one of the risers in, in Major League Baseball. People wanted to watch the Phillies last year, especially when that ballpark was rocking. So a lot of star power in Philadelphia. They will get on the national TV at numerous times during the course of this season. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hidden Season. My thanks to Jeffrey Paternostro once again for joining me on the podcast. I want to remind you all, go to the BillyPen.com uh, hit and season landing page. It's at Billy, billypen.com slash hit and season. Also want to remind you to vote for hit and season for best baseball podcast, 2023. The voting continues, uh, through the end of the month, go to sportspodcastgroup.com and you can vote for hit and season there. Uh, make sure that you, there's just a little bit of a little tiny form you got to fill out in order to do that. And then you can uh, click that button to vote for us and uh, help us to beat uh, some of these other national baseball podcasts, you know, the little guys got to win sometimes too. You know what I mean? And this is the best baseball podcast in America. Let no one tell you any differently. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hitting Season.